Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Now, last time we were together, we were talking about Lydia. Remember her? Yeah, okay. So Lydia, we talked about her in terms of her influence, a woman of influence, okay? So the way the story goes is there's a missionary team led by Paul, okay? And they're headed about, okay? They're headed, and their plan is to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit convinces them, nah, that's not what they're supposed to do. And God tells them, look, you need, to, you need to cross over and you need to cross the Aegean Sea and go into Macedonia. And so they take their first missions trip into Europe. And uh, when they get there, they realize that things don't look the way they're used to on these missionary journeys. Usually what they do when they go into a city is they look for the synagogue. And they look for the Jewish uh, men of that city and they preach the gospel to them with the hopes that a few of them will separate themselves unto Jesus Christ and that's how they usually begin the work of planting churches. But when they get to Philippi which is one of the chief cities in Macedonia what they discover pretty quickly is that there's not any men to lead. In other words there's no synagogue. There's no group of men worshiping the God of the Bible. And so as they begin to investigate they discover there's a group of women that are worshiping the God of the Bible down by the riverside. And this group of women is led by a woman named Lydia. And she's a woman of influence financially. She's, she, has a, she has a thriving business that's selling purple. We talked about how strange that seemed. But, but if, you, if you wore purple back in the day, this was a sign uh, that you had wealth. It's not any different than going and purchasing something at Tivoli. If you got a Rolex watch, right, then you are the man, right? And if you wear purple back in the day, you are a person of great esteem. And so, so Lydia's business was doing real good in Philippi. It was a thriving metropolitan city. She's doing real well. And she's, she has all of these servants and friends that are worshiping, worshiping with her down by the riverside on the Sabbath. Now Paul goes down there to pray with them and he begins to preach. And she is wise enough to be attentive to the message of Jesus Christ. And as she receives Jesus that day, and is baptized, her whole household is baptized with her. In other words, her influence is such, her testimony is such, that when people begin to see her following Jesus Christ, they can't help but pay attention. They can't help but, but be in awe of the decision that she's made to follow Jesus. Maybe there's something to this. And as they begin to listen to her, and they begin to see her moving and functioning at the behest of the Holy Spirit, they say to themselves, this is something that I need. need. And she's a woman of influence. Now today we're going to see a woman of influence again. And this woman is quite a bit different than Lydia. Okay, so let's look at our story. Let's start in, in verse 16. We don't have a whole lot of time, okay, because we gave that time to the Lord in worship. So we're going to move kind of quickly. So I need you to stay with me. Are you with me? You're there? You've got, you've got your finger on it? Verse 16 says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Okay, now this word damsel here means that she was a servant. And, and not in the, in a servant in the terms that we usually imagine it. We usually imagine a servant as being someone who's in bondage or slavery. No, in this case, she is an employee of a, a handful of other men who are using her services, using her gifts to make money. 
Okay, now everyone's, everyone's in cahoots here. Everyone is making a killing off of this w- woman's work. All right, and we'll investigate that more here. It says here that she has a profession. She has a prof- profession. It says that she's a soothsayer. So, so what is it exactly that she does? Now the story tells us is that she has a spirit of divination. And the word divination means to foresee or to be inspired by the gods. That's what the word means. Okay, now in Greek mythology, divination was a supernatural gift that was bestowed upon pagan priests and priestesses. And this gift came uh, from, as the story goes, we don't have time to get into it, the story goes that this gift of divination to, to foresee the future came uh, from an ancient serpent that lived deep in the depths of the earth. Okay? So I don't, need, I don't need to point out the parallels here, do I? I mean, if I have to go into detail here, then you're missing, there's, you're missing what's very obvious to me is that the gifting of divination, even by the lost people, was understood to be a gift of Satan himself. They could call him, call that serpent whatever you, you need to call him. But it was a gift that came from the one beneath, right? And this damsel had the power and ability to hear things from the spiritual realm. She could retrieve hidden truths and present them with great accuracy for those who were coming to her willing to pay for that information. She was good at what she did. She was so good that she was very successful. She made a lot of money. It says that, that there was much gain, which means that there was a fortune to be made. And people were making money off of her, and she was making money, and it was good for business, and she was doing quite well. Now, I believe it's important here uh, to note that in Macedonia, that it must have been very popular for people to go get their fortune told. Okay, for her to make that much money, there must have been a lot of people in that city who were interested in hearing about their future. And I don't actually think that's a whole lot different than our society right now. I think the more unstable societies are and the more excess wealth there is, I think the more common this kind of business becomes. And I believe, and and some of you, this might take you by surprise, I believe that this kind of business, the business of divination, is on the rise in our world, in, in our country, and in our city, in fact. I mean, I've got several friends from high school that I follow on Facebook that are constantly talking about the tarot readings, the tarot card readings that they're getting. If you go to the Art Institute, it's like everybody there is talking about, about what, you know, what their astrology report for that day says. Okay? And you're inundated with it. Now let me give you a few statistics just so you can be hyper aware because I want to warn you today against this kind of behavior. According to the IBIS World Industry Report, the United States psychic industry over the past five years has grown by 2% year over year. The number of active active psychic and tarot businesses have grown by 1.6% and their employees with 1.4%. The increase can be attributed to the recovering economic conditions and growing acceptance of industry services among millennial clients. Which, which be you, okay? Listen to this. This one's crazy. One in five U.S. adults have consulted a psychic or a medium. One in five, right? I mean, that's quite a few. 20% of the population, adult population. I mean, where are these people out at? I hope they're not in this room is what I'm getting at. 
According to Pew Research, women are twice as likely to visit a psychic or tarot card reader compared to men. Mm. Mm. So this isn't just some weird fringe thing, right? This is a common American practice. And whether or not you think most modern psychics have any real psychic ability is of little to no significance. So you might say to yourself, well, that's just silly. That's just play. Okay, whatever your thoughts are about the modern psychic, I'm telling you right now that at least in some cases, it's absolutely 100% real. I mean, there might be some people that are out there just trying to make a buck, right? And they've, they've, they've got some sort of ploy, some sort of gimmick that they use to deceive people. That, that might be true, but I'm telling you right now, there are people in the world that have the ability to do things that ought not be done. There are people that, that are hearing things that ought not be heard. There are people that hold truths that are not intended for man to hold. And they are using them. And they are inviting wickedness into our world. It's absolutely real. It's absolutely real. And it's absolutely condemned by our Father. Deuteronomy 18.9 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. Now I want you to hear me in this. I know that there's people in this room. I know you. I knew, I knew you in high school. I, I knew that, that you could read people's aura. I know that there are people in this room that have, have been to tarot card readers or with your girlfriends at night, maybe you used a Ouija board at one point. I know there's testimonies like that in this room. But I want to tell you right now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's time to put that silliness behind you and to give it to the Lord. Be done with those practices. Do you hear me? I think it's, I think it's very important for us to mention that. And there's some of you that might take you by surprise. But I want to tell you, God takes these things seriously. And you ought to separate yourself from the world today. And so I call you to repentance in this area. Die to that now. Okay, now, now back to our story. Okay, so that's what this woman was into. Now, as it concerns the damsel, in many ways, she isn't all that much different from Lydia. Okay? She's not that much different from Lydia. These are both women of power. These are both women of authority. These are both women that people look to and respect. These are influencers in their community. Yeah? Now, but there's one important thing you have to note. When the gospel came to Lydia, listen to what the word of God says. She attended unto the things which he spoke. Paul, speaking the gospel, she attended to those things. She really wanted to hear what Paul was preaching. She was interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. She wanted to own it. She wanted to receive it. She wanted her life to change. But the damsel, that was a different story. 
Now, just like Lydia, she was a woman that needed salvation. She needed God to come into her life to vanquish the enemy. She's possessed by this spirit. She needs God to remove that spirit and come and dwell her li- and, and indwell her life. That's what she needs. And she, like Lydia, had the potential to be a key person in her community, to be the person of peace, to be the influencer that God wanted her to be. But here's the deal. When she discovers Paul's gospel, she has a very bizarre reaction, a very bizarre one. You want to read with me? Verse 17. You following? The same followed Paul. Okay, so this woman starts following Paul around and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. So when she encountered the gospel, rather than listening attentively, she attaches herself to the missions team and follows them around crying out. In other words, of pausing to, instead of pausing to listen to receive, she becomes very verbose and loud and shouts down the simplicity of the gospel. It's very strange. Now, whenever I, I, I read this story, I had a hard time understanding it. Okay, in my mind, what is a woman that's possessed by, by an evil spirit walking around speaking truth for? Seems very strange, doesn't it? That she's yelling and shouting the very thing that Paul and his team are preaching? It seems strange to me. She says, these men are the servants of the Most High God. That's, that's absolutely true. Which show unto the way of salvation. That's absolutely true. They had a message of salvation. And she's following them around and she's shouting this. Now, whenever I've read this in times past, before I really studied it, I just, I just trumped this up to pure oddity. That's what I did. I didn't really investigate. I just left it to, wow, she's, she seems to be a distraction. I, it's weird, weird. And then I just kept reading. Okay, but as I began to study, I began to see new things. And I began to understand that this is exactly how Satan likes to, to work. This is exactly how Satan likes to work. Just as the, the gospel begins to take root, he sends false ministers to confuse the people. That's what he does. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve says, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. Which is basically, that's what this story is about. It's Paul doing that very thing. That wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. See, the most common weapon in Satan's arsenal is the confusion between right and wrong, truth and lies. This is his common modus operandi. Satan wants false workers to appear as authoritative and as spiritual even as the apostles themselves were spiritual. He wants to present false alliances between darkness and light. That's what he wants to do. And that's what's going on in this story. This damsel who is wicked, who has an evil spirit, who is famous in her community for listening to the false gods that surrounded her, 
is suddenly preaching the gospel, she's adding to her pantheon. You know, and uh, whenever you're in India, you know, I'm, I'm sure Danny is very familiar with this, and you're preaching the gospel in a Hindu society where there's millions of gods, you have to be very careful when you're preaching the gospel. You have to make sure that what you're uh, proclaiming to them is understood rightly. Look, the Jesus that I'm telling you about is not to be added to your pantheon. He's not to be jumbled in and mixed up with all the other gods that you've already worshipped in your community. You need to understand that there is one true God. And when there's one true God, all the other gods must be abandoned. Now what this woman of darkness is doing is she's trying to mingle the darkness with the light. So her wicked testimony in her community, suddenly she's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's muddying the waters for the apostles. You know, Peter, uh, there's a similar story to this in Peter in Acts chapter 8. We don't have a whole lot of time to get into it, but you remember that Philip is in Samaria and he's preached the gospel and people have begun to receive it. And people are beginning to get saved and people are beginning to receive the Holy Spirit. And there's this guy that shows up. His name is Simon the Sorcerer. Remember this guy? Now, now, Peter's watching this guy. He's watching how he works and he's giving him time and he's being patient. Same thing we see from Paul. We're going to see it here in a second. He's patient and he's watching him. And suddenly, when Simon begins to see that the apostles have the ability to bestow the Holy Spirit to those who've accepted Jesus Christ, right? Now, I'm not going to, get in, I'm not going to teach you dispensationally the relevance of that. Go back and listen to the message, Okay? But when he sees that beginning to happen, what's Simon say? What's he say? Okay, how much does it cost for me to get that gift? He gets his checkbook out, doesn't he? Because what he wants to do is he wants to buy authority. He wants to retain his market share in the spiritual marketplace of Samaria. And he's muddying the waters. And so Peter rebukes him. The same thing is happening here in Acts chapter 16. If this damsel, as a practitioner of the dark arts, can present herself as an ally of the gospel ministry, then she has effectively undermined the unique authority and the purpose of the gospel itself to separate the light of God from the darkness of the world. And in so doing, she retains her market share and ensures that she still has relevance in a marketplace of spiritual unsurety. Right? She's hedging her bets. And she saw that Paul had a powerful message, so she works to associate herself with that message, message so she can prey on the fruit of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's key point. Key point number one. Sorry, it took a minute to get here. Key point number one. Satan loves when the name of Jesus Christ is obscured and overshadowed. And he doesn't mind whatever method he needs to use to make sure that happens. This is what he's after. He wants to obscure and overshadow the name of Jesus Christ. Satan loves when the lost associate themselves with Christ. We see the lost do this all the time, don't we? We see lost people on all of the stage, important stages, you know, at the Grammys or, you know, presidential speeches, whatever it might be. And they're quick to associate themselves with the name of Jesus Christ, but the fruit is far from them, if you will. It all serves to muddle the water and make the gospel confusing. 
The objective for the damsel's behavior may have been to retain her market share, but the objective of Satan is to drag the name of Christ through the mud and sow confusion. And we see this all the time. We see this all around us. We see false teachers use the name of Jesus Christ and make the gospel confusing. Now, I mean, Joel Osteen is a great example of that. He's completely confused the gospel for millions of people. There are people watching his show on TV right now and they'll watch for the next 30 minutes and they'll never get the gospel one time and they'll think that they've worshipped the God of the Bible. You understand? And there's, there's men and teachers like this all over the place. We're inundated with people like this. And in fact, they even show up to our church. They even show up to our church. So what do we as Christians do in response to those who are maybe on the outside appearing to be Christian but are beginning to sow seeds of deceit. How do we respond to ill-intentioned people that say all the right words? Okay, so key point number two. The mature believer recognizes a call to discern the light from the dark and make simple the way of Jesus. That's our job. And that's what we see Paul do here. We see Paul doing this very thing. And we're going, to look at, we're going to look very carefully at him and, and his example. Because what we can learn from Paul is exactly how we should respond when we're not sure about someone in ministry, about someone that we encounter, about someone on the campus who seems to be saying that they're a Christian, but there's just something about them that seems to always be confusing the gospel, the simplicity of God's word. What do we do about people like this? Okay, verse 18. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, in this, in this one verse, there's a lot to unpack, and so I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm going to make it as practical as possible. When we look at Paul, we see something very important first. We see patience. We see patience. But we also see him be circumspect. Now listen to me. The first thing that we want to note is that Paul isn't in any hurry to rebuke her. He puts up with a lot, doesn't he? It says that she followed him around many days. In other words, he had to put up with this racket. Oh, it seemed grating and it seemed annoying and there was just something not right about it and it, and, and it was bothering him, but he put up with it for several days. Well, first of all, what she was saying was true. So it, so it it made it all the more difficult for him to determine whether or not this person was actually an, an ally in the work of the ministry. So he waited and he observed and he was patient. And some of you guys, listen to me, I know that there's folks in your Bible studies, I know that there's folks on your campuses that seem to be taking your time and you don't know what to think about the way that they're, they're, they're acting or responding. Are they a distraction to the work? Be patient. Because sometimes those people that are distracting God just has not yet reconciled them to the gospel. Be patient. God's working in their life. They might turn out to be a Lydia and not a damsel. And so you've got to wait on the Lord and you've got to be patient. But at the same time, you need to be circumspect. You need to be circumspect. By the way, here's the verse reference because we don't have time to get into it. In terms of patience, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. But he's also patient. See, Paul needed to spiritually discern the, the difference between the zeal of this woman 
and the evil supplanting that seemed to be going on. You understand? To discover what was, the, what was weakness and what was wickedness. You often hear us, hear us talking about that in ministry. You know, we forbear weakness, but we don't put up with wickedness. Do you understand? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And sometimes that weakness and wickedness thing, that's on a sliding scale. There's some more gray area there than we realize sometimes. So we've got to figure out a way to approach people so we can actually discern whether or not they're, they're, they're living a life of wickedness opposing the gospel or they're just weak. Or they're just weak. We have to be circumspect. We have to be watching. We have to be patient. But we can't be naive, folks. We can't be gullible. Every, every, not every person has the best interest of the mission in mind. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's as true then as it is now. So let's look real quickly. What is it that Paul does and what can we learn? The very first thing that we need to do when we're being circumspect is we need to ask, is this person or this message true to the doctrines of Scripture? That's the first question we need to ask ourselves. Is the way this person holding themselves or what they're saying, does it regard the basic doctrines and the tenets of God's Word? And if not, then it must be dealt with because we can't have heresy in our midst. It has to be dealt with. But if so, if so, then that leads us to the next question. This is very practical. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? So you've got to ask that question first. And if that person is preaching anything other than the gospel that's been handed down by the apostles, we've got to address it. But if what they're saying, like this woman, seems to be right, okay, then you've got to ask yourself the next question. What are the person's motives? And you've got to ask the Lord that because the Lord will reveal it. The Lord will reveal to you what this person's motives are. Sometimes they're not always very clear. Are they looking for a platform in order to be seen? Are, are they desirous of personal gain? Are their motives pure or not? And if he reveals that their motives are impure, then the situation must be dealt with. You understand? It has to be dealt with. They have to be sat down. They have to be pulled aside. They have to be brought to a pastor. It has to be dealt with. Are you with me? But after all of that, you're still unsure. Their motives maybe appear unsure. Then you ask yourself the question, what is their ministry producing? Is it producing peace? Is this person actually a person of peace? Does peace reside within them? Or are they sowing chaos? Are they being chaotic? Or in terms of fruit, are people following them? Are, are they producing actual Christ followers? Are they producing disciples of Jesus? You know, Paul had been preaching. And this woman heard the message. But as, has the word of God actually produced any changes in this woman's life? Or does she exemplify unrest? And I, I think, after several days of observing, she exemplifies unrest. Is there a testimony of repentance in her? Not that can be seen. If she actually believes what she is saying, is she drawing people to the gospel or is she deterring them from the gospel? And if not, if the fruit that this individual is bearing or this message is, 
is bearing is only wicked and chaos and unrest, then it has to be dealt with. And that person has to be sat down. And there has to be a conversation. And you have to yearn for them. And you have to, you have to seek to reconcile them. You have to say everything that you can say. But ultimately, it's their choice whether or not they're going to follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes, sometimes people have to be dismissed on the grounds of the gospel. It happens. But this is how we discern. Okay, now, I've, I've got to cut this way short because we're out of time. And I've got to give, I've got to give Kenny back the pulpit. If you, haven't, if you haven't yet heard Kenny's message today, it's very powerful. But look, look what happens to Paul. Paul, being grieved, turned. Paul, being grieved, turned. Now, when we look at this word grieve, we, we recognize that in the Scriptures, whenever Paul is talking about being grieved, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit reveals to him that there's wickedness. And so what does he do? He turns. In other words, when the Holy Spirit shows you something true and confirms something, then it demands that you react in obedience. And so he being grieved in his spirit, he turns. And listen to what he says. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. The act of addressing evil is very hard. It's grievous. It's difficult. It's painful. But we have to do it. It's a part of our ministry work. It's a part of our ministry work, is addressing evil. And some of you, you hate conflict, you hate controversy, and you, and you don't want to deal with it. But listen to me. The more you know of God's word, the more you learn of him, the more pressing this work becomes. We have to sow out seeds of division. We have to, we have to pull them out. We have to rent them out at the root. Christ must be exalted, and if a person, a message, or a sinful culture impedes the name of Jesus Christ, then, it, then it's our duty to declare the authority of Christ's name because his name is on the line. As in, in closing, let's look at Acts 20, 28. This is Paul's message to the church of Ephesus later on in the book of Acts. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, we have a flock here, don't we? We have precious souls that we are called to look out for, to regard, to invest in, to influence. Take heed. Take heed to the flock over, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased, purchased with his blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's what this damsel is doing, correct? Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's the spirit that we should have. In a world as confusing as the one we live in, it is absolutely important for us to work and do the simple work of sifting between dark and light and make the way of Christ very clear. That's our job. That's our job. Key point number three, we must take threats to the mission seriously. Do you understand that, soldiers? That's what we're to do. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ, and there is a battle at hand, and Satan is working to sift people away. We've got to do the work of separating light from dark. We've got to try the spirits. We've got to be circumspect. We've got to be willing to address wickedness. Okay, so with that said, I want to invite you as we, we enter into a short season of worship 
I want to ask that if there's anything of conviction that you found in this message, maybe you know that there's been times past where you've played with spirits that you shouldn't have played with. Grab a leader and pray. And ask that the Lord would deliver you in your repentance, deliver you from whatever evil spirit you've entertained in the past. Whatever false truth that you've maybe entertained in your life, some form of heresy even, you know that you've listened to falsities, it's time to deal with that. So grab a leader and pray through it. But others of you, you know in this room that God has given you something in his word. And it's time for you to step up and recognize that your, your need, the need of you in this ministry is for you to function as a leader and deal with wickedness as it arises. False gospels, false teachings, people who are trying to muddle the water of the gospel, it has to be dealt with. And it's your responsibility, and that might seem kind of scary to you. Then grab someone and pray with them that God would give you boldness, that he'd give you a passion for his word, that you'd be able to see the difference between light and dark. Cool? All right, Uriah, you mind coming up and just playing a little ditty as we close out? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you that on Father's Day we get to turn to you and say, God, we love you. You are a good father. You are our Abba Father. And in the absence, there's so many of us who never, we just weren't raised by good fathers. Or, or maybe our father has been absent, Lord. All the much more, Lord, I, I say to you, thank you for being my dad and raising me in the absence of a good father. I'm so great, uh, grateful for the graciousness that you poured out in my life. I worship you. God, I pray also that today's message would be a warning for us, that we would do the hard work of discerning the difference between evil spirits and good spirits, the spirit of your, your son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit the one spirit that leads us in truth, the one spirit that comforts us. Lord, would we see the difference? We need your help in that work. Please reveal to us those people in, the, in this ministry that have the wrong intentions, that are focused on the wrong things. And Lord, would you, would you use us to differentiate, but also to help reconcile them to the gospel, to draw them in and to make them a part of our flock. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.